Welcome to MTSU on the Record. I'm Jenna Logue. Holidays and pandemics notwithstanding, Dr. Carol Van West stays busy year-round. As director of the Center for Historic Preservation and Tennessee State Historian, Van's interest and projects are wide-ranging and numerous. In this edition of the program, we'll be talking about the Nashville Opera, two African-American churches, and a graveyard of considerable significance. And we'll delve into those topics after this. Here are some of the headlines making news at mtsunews.com, the university's news and information website. Dozens of area health care workers and first responders, including about 15 MTSU health services and pharmacy staff members, received the first round of the Moderna COVID-19 vaccine on December 23rd at the Siegel High School gym in Murfreesboro. Those vaccinations are believed to be some of the first administered in Rutherford County. MTSU pharmacist Tabby Raglan called it a positive experience. She said once inside the gym, participants registered, completed forms and signed an agreement to receive the vaccine. Officers with the Murfreesboro Police Department provided security and screened participants, making sure they qualified to get the vaccine. In all, about 40 MTSU Health Services staff have chosen to receive the vaccine. And the writing is on the wall at the James E. Walker Library, and it pays tribute to a devoted supporter. Michael Humnicki, a former engineer at NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory in Pasadena, California, is the first donor to have a study room in the library named in his honor. For the past eight years, the 73-year-old retiree has given generous amounts of both books and money to the library. Although he once lived across the street from MTSU, he never taught there or attended classes there. However, the more he visited the library, the more he fell in love with the institution. Humnicki comes by his love of libraries naturally. His father had a degree in library science, his mother was a medical librarian at Indiana University, and his aunt was the head pharmacy librarian at Purdue University. While Humnicki himself earned degrees in physics and economics at Purdue, he decided to obtain a master's degree in library science at Indiana University after he was laid off in the mid-1990s. For MTSU News at any time, go to mtsunews.com. Van, thanks for being with us. I appreciate you taking the time. Certainly. It's great to be here today. Let's start with the opera One Vote One, which is a tribute to the women's suffrage movement for the centennial of the passage of the 19th Amendment. The Center for Historic Preservation helped with a study guide for the project. Tell us how CHP became involved. Well, this became involved out of a conversation that I had with John Humes, the director of Nashville Opera, and Leah Maitland, who is their director of public relations and community engagement. They came down to the campus to visit with me and talk about a project that they wanted to do for the centennial of women's suffrage. And we knocked around some different ideas that they had, and they'd asked me to gather some period sheet music from that time frame. And then we just started talking about, well, you know, what does the community needs? What are issues that could go farther? And, you know, I came away thinking, well, this was a good conversation. I wonder what will happen next. And then suddenly, within a month or two, I heard that, well, the opera had decided to 
create and commission a video opera, that one that they would address the issues of suffrage for women of color in Tennessee and go back to the stories of Frankie Pierce, who had been one of the African-American suffragettes a hundred years ago, and tie that to Diane Nash, uh, the famous uh, woman leader of the student movement in Nashville during the 1960s. So it was like, wow, we need to talk some more. So that's sort of how we got involved with it. And uh, I was so excited by their creative brainstorming and coming up with the solution of an opera that could be shared by all that would be you know, rooted in history, but would be something much more than that. Now, who worked on the study guide and what sort of considerations go into making a study guide like this accessible to students of a certain age? Well, you know what's really great about the Nashville Opera, Jenna, is how they are very collaborative. You know, they shared with me the libretto by Mary McCallum and bits of the music from David Ragsland. Those were the two composers that they involved in the project so I could get a sense of where they were coming from. And then I worked with one of my PhD students, Layla Smallwood, and we could sort of take that material and think about what grade level and what types of primary sources and other types of documents would really be good for teachers to have at their disposal to blend with the video to then have an effective uh, lesson plan. Having all those different elements in front of us made it a bit intimidating because we wanted to do justice to what we saw as this uh, important work. But, you know, we sort of have our standard format for doing these types of study guides. How and to whom are those study guides distributed? We would provide for them a study guide that would really be targeted to you know, high school students, students taking this type of um, work in their junior and senior year, and then community college and freshman, sophomore at four-year schools. So that sort of age range of, you know, 16 to 20. We put together different sections. Layla really worked on the teaching standards. She's a real expert in that. She had taught in some of the middle Tennessee school districts before she came to work with us. So she understands those social studies standards. I put together the sort of overview, the biographies of Frankie Pierce and Diane Nash. And of course, with all of that, we went back to a project that we had led and worked on 20 years earlier the Tennessee Encyclopedia of History and Culture, because we know so many teachers go back to that online source. So what we wanted to create was an online type of uh, package for school teachers. And then once we put that together, Nashville Opera took that material, they put it on their website, they distributed it to teachers. And according to the numbers that the opera gave me this fall, they feel that it reached probably over 50,000 students in not just Tennessee, but in other parts of the country as well, as they really had demand for this type of project, you know, being an election year 
It's about voting rights. It was about so many different events. And then it's a really nicely done video with wonderful music. You know, they really found a big audience for a project that when you think about it, this is what still sort of amazes me. This all fell together in this calendar year. And, you know, typically opera productions doesn't, don't happen that quickly. And uh, we're just real pleased to have been part of it. We'll take a break right here. We'll be back in just a moment. This is MTSU on the Record. The Experiential Learning Scholars Program at MTSU gives students a chance to go outside the classroom and obtain hands-on experience in their chosen fields of study. They'll have the opportunity to give something back to the community through service learning as they gain acceptance for graduate study. Students should be able to select EXL-designated courses from major requirements and general studies requirements to complete the 16 to 18 hours of EXL coursework. For all of the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. The mission of the June Anderson Center for Women and Non-Traditional Students is to provide education, advocacy, direct services, outreach, and programming for the MTSU campus and surrounding community on gender-related issues. The center also assists older students who are trying to balance work, college, and family. It also sponsors a monthly legal clinic, career brown bag series, book club, and a newsletter twice a year. For all of the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. We're talking with Tennessee's state historian, Dr. Carol Van West. You are working with the Emory Methodist Church in Murfreesboro and the Bethel Missionary Baptist Church on digitizing their church records. What makes these two churches in particular so special? We have worked with some of the downtown Murfreesboro churches of, you know, white churches, black churches for decades. Of course, one thing we're always interested in is the actual primary sources of history and trying to identify where those are. And in both cases, these congregations reached out to us saying, well, we have some really old records and we really don't know what to do with them. Could you come and meet with us and help? And we were particularly interested in these two churches because they were outside of the city proper I mean, the suburbs have grown up around Emory United Methodist Church, but Walter Hill is still, you know, not so grown up. And Bethel Missionary Baptist is still sort of out by itself on this two-lane road. And we thought, oh, great. We know a lot about many of the churches in Murfreesboro, and they're in our history, not so much some of the smaller churches. And then these guys had that need to know how to preserve the records. So in both cases, we asked John Lodel, the Rutherford County Archivist, to come join us in those meetings because, of course, John has the ability and the warehouse and and all of the equipment to help these different groups. And he's particularly interested in building up church archives in the uh, county because we do think those are important institutions. And for John, it's an outgrowth of the cemetery survey that the archives carried out with the Center for Historic Preservation five or six years ago, where we went out and identified over 1,000 cemeteries in the uh, county. So with those two sources of information, they're great for genealogists, they're great for people trying to understand the development of institutions, 
you know, after the Civil War, we thought that was particularly important about both of Bethel and Emory. They were founded in the Reconstruction period, so they were well over 100 years old. And then we've talked with Mary Watkins, who is the president of the African American Historical Society in Rutherford County. And Mary wants to maybe use these two as a launching pad into a bigger project where we could really sort of document all of the congregations, all of African-American congregations in the county that are 100 years old, to really get at those early formulative institutions. Students at MTSU, they love hands-on experience. And here was a case that, you know, it's about as hands-on as you can get. You actually have to touch the documents, uh, you know, make digital copies of them, and then give the original documents back to the church. But then the digitized copies are ready for not only them to do research with, but people for decades into the future. How voluminous are the analog records of these two churches? How much material are we talking about here? Well, now, Emory United Methodist is not that big of a congregation. We're talking probably a couple of boxes. But now, Bethel Missionary Baptist is a much bigger congregation. And we're probably talking about, I think it's like five to six boxes. But, you know, for a student, that's a good size project for them to take on in a semester and to digitize the papers and get them organized and all of that. So, you know, it's, I guess if it was, you know, you know, hundreds of boxes, that would be a different situation. But in this case, you know, it's like the perfect project for this day and time when you can't do so much in-person thing but you can pass off documents and we can help them archive those documents for the future. And talk about how careful you have to be with old documents that might be very, very fragile. Well, boy, that is something that you really do have to be careful with. And, you know, um, we have lots of uh, white cotton gloves that, you know, you handle those documents with so you don't pass on oils from your hands to the documents. We have a very clean workspace where that can all take place. And if it's too fragile, we just sort of set it aside and then ask some of the experts at the Rutherford County Archives to uh, unfold those and do that work because they just have experience on how do you unfold something that could be very fragile. We'll take another break here. We'll return in just a moment. This is MTSU on the record. The American Democracy Project is a nonprofit initiative which strives for greater voter registration and civic participation among young people at MTSU and at campuses nationwide. Through encouragement from professors and peers, young adults are shown the value of being more active citizens in their community, their state, and their nation. ADP seeks to nurture programs that raise the campus community's level of engagement with society. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. Tennessee's farm families contribute to our state's economy, nutrition, and culture. The Tennessee Century Farms Program at MTSU's Center for Historic Preservation acknowledges farms that have been in the same family at least 100 years. To date, the program has certified more than 1,500 farms. 
There's no cost to nominate a farm or be part of the program. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. We're back with Dr. Carol Van West, Tennessee State Historian and Director of the Center for Historic Preservation. The graveyard to which we referred in the introduction is Benevolent Cemetery Number 11, I believe it is, yes, in Murfreesboro. Hey, what yes. kind of a project are you working on with that property? Well, this is a property that people have talked to me about for over 20 years. Uh, Reverend Melvin Hughes, who has since passed, he was the minister back in the 1990s at Allen Chapel AME Church in downtown Murfreesboro. And he was concerned about the condition of the cemetery. It had not been abandoned. It was still being used periodically, but you know, the upkeep just wasn't there. It didn't get regular maintenance. And then uh, Donna Barrett, when she was in the state legislature, talked to me one time. She was trying to find a way to make sure we could get regular maintenance. Well, through you know these conversations of 20 years ago and then 15 years ago and then 10 years ago, Allen Chapel Church just decided to go ahead and start raising the money and keeping the property maintained. And then we wanted to know more about it to list it potentially in the National Register of historic places because, of course, that opens the possibility for historic preservation grants. So finally, after Leanne Gardner, who was with the center for several years, Leanne is now at Vanderbilt University, she conducted the first real serious research on it. And then this cemetery is right at the overpass on South Church Street, that big hump that you go over on South Church Street over the railroad tracks, the Department of Transportation found Leanne's research online and decided that, well, when we repair that overpass, that bridge is eligible for the National Register of Historic Places. So don't you want to put the bridge on the National Register of Historic Places? And it was like, I didn't think anyone would ever ask. The folks at Allen's Chapel was excited to death. So then this fall, we have started the process of identifying as much history as we can about that cemetery. What attracted you um, to it in terms of its historical value? Is there a Tennessee historical marker already there? There is a Tennessee historical marker in the works. I know I have reviewed the text for it and don't know when it'll be installed, but that's the next step in the process. But for the National Register nomination, we had to go deeper into history. And Leanne Gardner's work had told us about how this lodge, this benevolent lodge, was a movement across the South. And they had, you know, put together the money to buy the land and start the cemetery in the 1890s. And that process always interests me because during Jim Crow's segregation, African-Americans were told, well, you can't use the white cemeteries, go get your own. And they just built their own institutions. So in this case, I just was very interested in that process. You know, it's really the sort of final resting place for two generations of community leaders 
that some of whom are known and some of whom aren't. And that's what I took my uh, graduate class this fall. That was their assignment. Let's dig into the histories of these individuals and find out as much as we can. They have finished up their final papers and have submitted that to me. The stories that they have uncovered are really, really compelling from you know, military veterans who served with distinction in the Spanish-American War and World War II, to members of the Cheers family who had been enslaved at Ripavilla, but then after the war, they end up coming over to Rutford County, owning their own farms, serving in the military again. John McClellan, who was the leading uh, African-American doctor in Murfreesboro in the first half of the 20th century and one of the early graduates of Meharry Medical College. I mean, it just goes on and on. So getting those stories into the National Register nomination report, we think is important to, you know, give back a degree of dignity to a cemetery that have, had seen hard times until the church sort of stepped forward and have really been doing a great job of maintaining it these last couple of years. What do you have to do to make the National Register of Historic Places? I imagine it's a, a rather high bar. It is, it is a high bar, and this is where, um, you know, we work on these projects all over the, the country now, um, and we've done over 200 in Tennessee. And, you know, usually it's a place of the one thing that's good about the National Register it can be of local history, local significance. But then you have to put together the documentation that that is the case. So that's what we have been doing here with Benevolent, putting together as many bits of primary sources as we can to tease out that story so people can see the proof right in front of them. The final report will probably be like 30 pages long. And how long is the process of decision in Washington, D.C. after you submit all the materials? Well, I always tell people, you know, you have to be patient. It will take about one year. So it's a very process-driven, very calm and deliberative uh, procedure, but I think that's fine because it is the National Register of Historic Places. You want it to be that way because you want there to be as much academic rigor and historical rigor in it as humanly possible. What else are you working on? Oh, geez, what a, <laughs> what a leading question. Well, you know, uh, one, one project that we're having a, a lot of uh, interest in is up in Upper East Tennessee, Hawkins County. And this is Stony Point. It is a historic house that has been in the same family since 1780. And the building was finished about 1780, 1781. Um, all types of famous people from, you know, have would visit the place in its early years. And the family has asked us to help them sort of organize all of their stuff and understand the significance of the place. And it's one of several projects we're doing up in that part of the state really sort of tied in to the 250th anniversary of the Revolutionary War 
and the Declaration of Independence. Uh, these are some of the earliest buildings in Tennessee. And, you know, it's time for them to really get good studies and let people really enjoy what they are. So that's, that's one of the more uh, demanding and, and deep projects. I can, I probably won't be done with that one in, a, a, in another two or three years. There's so much to it. And I believe we've spoken about that before. And uh, when it finally does come to fruition, I'd uh, like to have you come back and talk about it uh, some more, uh, providing we're both still around. <laughs> yeah, well. In the meantime, we'll continue to keep up with all of the Department of History projects and Center for Historic Preservation projects because Tennessee has become a real history hub and MTSU in yeah. particular, uh, in part thanks to your work, Dr. Carol well, Van West. Thank you very much. I enjoy it, but I tell you, it's my students who keep me going forward. We have great students here at MTSU. We'll pay tribute to them too. We'll be right back. The Intercultural and Diversity Affairs Center helps to promote awareness and understanding of the wide variety of cultures represented at MTSU. The center provides information, referrals, and resources. Additionally, IDAC tries to make students from different cultures feel welcome and comfortable on campus so they can have every opportunity to fulfill their academic, social, and personal potential. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. MTSU's Jewish and Holocaust Studies minor offers undergraduate students a chance to study the culture and religion of the Jewish people and the Holocaust in an interdisciplinary program. Studies include history and culture, theology and philosophy, and the arts and social sciences. Courses tackle vital topics central to local and global awareness, including multiculturalism and the meanings of diversity, religious tolerance, and genocide. For the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. Jimmy Hart has the middle moment. MTSU recently picked up 6,000 bottles of personal hand sanitizer from Big Machine Distillery in Nashville, the start of a partnership that could lead to opportunities for students with the distillery's affiliated music label, the Big Machine Music Group. The hand sanitizer will be distributed to students in on-campus housing this spring as part of the university's COVID-19 mitigation efforts. Beverly Keel, Dean of the College of Media and Entertainment, met with Big Machine executive Mark Borchetta to pick up the supply. She explains the significance of the new relationship. You know, when the world shut down, Big Machine pivoted immediately to become an important supplier of hand sanitizer. And so I thought, what a perfect way to begin a partnership between MTSU and Big Machine. And our hope is that we can expand this partnership not only in the College of Media and Entertainment, but also with our fermentation students. Uh, this is an exciting first step of what I hope are many projects. That's MTSU on the Record. I'm Jenna Logue. Thanks for listening. MTSU on the Record, a news and information program about Middle Tennessee State University, is produced by the university's Marketing and Communications Office, which is solely responsible for its content. Read more about MTSU at our website, mtsunews.com. Podcasts of this program are available at mtsunews.com and on iTunes.